Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Macrocast. I'm your host, Elon Moy, a managing director at Penta. Brendan Walsh of Markets Policy Partners is my co-host today. John Fagan is out. But we've got a ton to talk about still. The blockbuster jobs report, the latest drama in D.C., and of course, what it all means for the Fed and for the markets. So, Brendan, you ready to do this? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we're going to start off by talking about the blockbuster September jobs number. 336,000 jobs were added to the economy, way above the forecast of basically half that number. The unemployment rate held steady at 3.8%. Brendan, I feel like we just keep waiting for something to throw the labor market off track, but it just keeps chugging along. Yeah, this one was kind of amazing. Good consensus was that, you know, job growth was really slowing down, but uh, apparently that's not the case at all. Though uh, unemployment gains have remained or, you know, just around 200,000. So we're not seeing any any huge layoffs yet. Uh, but I think that the consensus was that while employers aren't laying people off, they're not hiring a lot of new people, especially with, with rates being as high as they are. But uh, this kind of proved uh, that that might not be the, the case. Though when you look at the details, the some sectors uh, were, were weak in terms of hiring, like retail trade and um, uh, government was actually a big uh, hirer this this month with seventy three thousand. That's kind of a an outlier uh, one. So there there was you know it's not weird, uh, but you know private education, private education, health services was strong. So th- there was some very high hiring in, in, in certain sectors, and other sectors were weak. But that doesn't really mattered. The, the, the job yeah. number was huge. Yeah, I, I saw leisure and hospitality is one of the biggest uh, yeah. gainers uh, in September, up by 96,000 jobs. Very encouraging to see that restaurant and bars up 61,000 jobs in September. So that sector is now back to its pre-pandemic yeah. employment level. So we're all eating and drinking. Right. And that Mix also probably played a role. So the the wage uh, data came in a little less. So it was only up 0.2 percent on a month to month basis, which dropped it to 4.2 percent on a year to year basis. So that that's good news, you know, for the Fed who's worried about a wage spiral. Uh, but part of that is what you do is you just add up what everyone earns and divide it by how many people. So in, in this month more low-paying jobs were created than high-paying jobs. So that did play a role in um, lowering the overall wage, uh, average hourly earnings. Yeah, that's 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 super interesting because I feel like, I mean, I guess that's a, a little bit of a double-edged sword because um, in some ways this job market has been really good for people who work in the service sector, people yeah. at the lower end of the income spectrum because wages in that group seem like they've been growing a little bit faster than for uh, higher income earners. Um, but if we're also seeing uh, wage growth for that group increase and we're seeing job growth mm-hmm. for this group increase, that's good news, even though in the aggregate it means that the uh, the broader average hourly earnings measure is a little bit lower. Yeah, yeah. And also government, you know, government's a good middle paying job, but it's not, you know, the the finance and uh, financial activities was actually very weak this uh, this month. Only 3,000 people were hired. Yeah, and so you also mentioned this this idea that where we were in the economy was that businesses weren't laying people off, but maybe they weren't, they just weren't hiring or having open positions. So now we see that businesses are hiring. Um, and we are seeing the the big jolts number that came out this week as well that showed that there's lots of additional yeah. open positions. That one really surprised the, the yeah. market. And uh, 
so this this week we've had a huge move higher in, in treasury yields. Um, so the, the the markets are definitely uh, reacting to the to the strong la- uh, labor data. Yeah, it was the jolts number came in at nine point six million job openings in the past month. That's up about a million from uh, from from July, and the peak in the sort of post-pandemic era was about 12 million jobs opening, job openings in a month. This is down from the peak, but it's still a lot more than, than folks had, had been anticipating. And I just, I just feel like, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I go around and this is, you know, economics by walking around, right. Which is always sort of dangerous, but I feel like when I'm walking around or driving around my neighborhood, I don't necessarily see as many we're hiring signs as I did before. Yeah. But when you are you know shopping when you're out at the restaurants or at the bars you do feel like these workers they're they're working hard yeah. and they're maybe overloaded over overtaxed and businesses could use some more bodies yeah I, I totally agree and 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 especially in the pandemic hit um sectors this this data point here showed that uh, they're they're able to kind of get back to uh maybe fully staffing yeah the other the other factor that uh that we could have come into play in the month of September, but we didn't see it in terms of, you know, when the survey data was done is that uh, we seem to have averted a lot of potential uh, bad news for the labor market. The uh, Hollywood labor strike Mm -hmm. ended at the end of September. So not really reflected in this month's jobs report, but will be showing up um, in the next month's jobs report. Uh, We averted a government shutdown. So that's also, that's also good news. Uh, There won't be all those workers who are on, on furlough in the next jobs report. So it seems like maybe even the outlook for October could be stronger than what. And this just kind of dawned on me. Uh, So when you look at the, so we hired a lot in restaurants and and things like that, but it's also in, in healthcare and and government. And those are jobs uh, that you can't really do remotely. So I think a lot of people were, were holding off going back to you know uh, in person jobs, and but maybe the, the the labor market is tight enough that you, you can't hold out anymore. Now you have to actually take a job and show up to uh to show up to work. Yeah, so. you know, actually, Brendan, I'm going to tell you, what, you gave me a really good tip, not just about economics, but also about uh, lunch uh, a couple of weeks ago after, uh, during it was either during the macrocast or maybe in, in our little chatter afterward. Uh, but the new food hall that opened yeah. up in downtown DC. Downtown DC is still there's still a lot of sort of dark storefronts. Uh, Not everything much. has come back come back post pandemic. Uh, but this opening of the food hall might be a sign that uh, that that things are getting back to the way they used to be. Yeah. So I went. I the day that I went, it was packed. Yeah. So it, there but was, that was also like a grand opening kind of thing. So there was there was definitely still room to grow. I'll yep. put it that way within within this uh, within this establishment. But um, but there were folks lined up to get churros. There were folks lined up to get their tacos. Um, so it was kind of exciting to see that there's there's energy and excitement coming back. No, I agree. And it's in a part of town that you know there's a lot of government offices building, which they're still not fully back. So the the fact that these restaurateurs felt confident enough to you know spend the money and, and open this thing back up is probably a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, the other the other factor here is that, you know, if government workers are going to be on the job because we were able to avoid that government <laughs> yeah. shutdown that we were so certain last episode was going to happen. Uh, but we were all proven wrong, primarily because I guess none of us expected that. Uh, now former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy would lay himself on the line. Yeah, well, ironically, in the, the face of this strong jobs number, we averted a uh, government shutdown because one man 
let himself get fired. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good point. So maybe maybe next uh, maybe next month it's going to be what three hundred thirty five thousand nine hundred ninety nine right. uh, jobs. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I I was I was completely stunned by how things developed and turned around so quickly. Um, the good news is that the Fed and the rest of us will now have the economic data they need in mm-hmm. order to make their decisions. The bad news is that the political turmoil is just going to continue to keep going. And I, I, at least initially, it seemed like markets reacted to Kevin McCarthy, you know, step, well, not stepping down, but getting yeah. ousted and then saying he's not going to run again for speaker. And so right. now we're going to be in this protracted period of no legislation being even being able to move forward. So to the degree that folks were betting that there would not be able to be bipartisan consensus on much legislation over the next year, well, now you can't even bring the legislation to the floor to see if there's bipartisan consensus on it because the House is stuck. And we only, you know, delayed things for 45 days. So mid-November, we're going to go back through this. So, you know, we we averted a government shutdown in the short term, but uh, I'm not all that optimistic (laughs) come mid uh Maybe it doesn't have to be forever, but it feels like we're we're gonna have to shut down for a little bit at least to get. Yeah, I mean, I I had been holding out some hope for uh you know a coalition yeah. to emerge of Republican Republicans and Democrats who say you know let's just work together on the things that we agree on and let's move forward. When you look at the candidates for speaker currently. I don't really see that coalition happening. No, no. Right? You have Steve Scalise, who is McCarthy's number two yeah. in, in the running. Um, and then you have Jim Jordan, who is, you know, not known for reaching across the aisle, no, let's not just at all. say. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know how this, how this helps ease the gridlock that we've seen in Washington for, I don't even know how long now, since, since the, since last November. Right. Um, I think I think we just end up in a more even continually polarized environment. Yeah, but do you know you don't have to be an elected member to be speaker? Yeah, so that w- that was the that was the sort of I don't want to say conspiracy theory, but maybe snarky Twitter theory that maybe yeah, they would yeah. elect Donald Trump yeah, to be yeah. speaker of the yeah, house. Someone I think put him up, but maybe it could be. Yeah, I don't think John Boehner is going to come back and do it, but maybe you know someone could take one for the team and be a placeholder while we we figure out who's going to be the the long term. Uh, Speaker. I don't know. I feel like the uh, the first act of speaker acting speaker Patrick McHenry of kicking Pelosi out of her Capitol Hill yeah. hideaway does not bode well for working across the aisle. And, you know, to, to be fair, quite frankly, some of the commentary that Pelosi mm-hmm. and Democrats then came out with in terms of saying that they were uh, angered by comments that McCarthy had made and therefore weren't interested in helping to bail out Republicans in this moment. Um, you know, we're here. We're we're seeing a lot of finger pointing. We're not seeing a lot of people who want to sing Kumbaya. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the, I guess the only thing that we have going for us is remember Ed um, Mills' point that uh, now when we shut down, I think it's November fifteenth, but uh, that's a couple weeks into Thanksgiving. So at least we have a, a, a holiday to 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 mess up uh, elected officials' lives. So maybe we, we we actually get it done. Yeah, yeah, they may not listen to their constituents, but hopefully they'll listen to their families. Exactly when they yeah. when they want to have them come home and 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 be with their families and just and just get the job done. So uh, maybe that's maybe that's a way out. 
you know, I, I wonder too, markets have done a pretty good job of, you know, looking through yeah. some of the dysfunction in DC, maybe some initial knee jerk reactions, but then kind of yeah. kind of like it a little bit because maybe it keeps the Fed on on hold more. Uh so I think that there was you know, there was positive parts of of shutting down the government in terms of forward looking financial markets. Uh so we'll see how that plays right. out. Right. If you didn't want the yeah. Fed to raise rates, it's unlikely the Fed would raise rates in the middle of the in government shutdown. Shut yeah. Right. Right. Um, For a whole host of reasons. But one, going back to the point, they wouldn't have any data to, to, to know what they're supposed to do. <laughs> you, you can't tell if it's worth if it's worth it to raise rates or not or cut rates or keep them the same. You just stick with inaction is is was maybe the best course course there. You know, Brendan, do you do you think that this is going to go through the end of the year, do you think, in terms of how how long we might be in this period of un- uncertainty in DC? No one's ever done this before, right? Like, yeah, no this, is, ever... this is you're right. I mean, this is we don't know. This is the first time that anyone's ever been kicked yeah. out of being Speaker of the House. I mean, it, it took 15 votes and a lot of back you know door deals to to get McCarthy to win it the first time. So I have I have just no idea how they're going to anytime soon elect somebody. That's right. I mean, the candidate forums, I believe, begin on on Tuesday, and then uh, you know the votes will begin after that. But yeah, if it took if it took fifteen to get McCarthy, and he, and yeah. he didn't last that long, maybe it'll take even longer to find somebody. Yeah, else. and and the the party's even more fractured now. But I just I think with those kind of you have eight votes that really doesn't want anybody. I guess that eight may, may vote for Trump, but so I I just don't know unless you you have the Democrats come in and do a, a coalition, but um, then maybe that's, it just starts all over again. You know, whoever right. gets elected on, on a bipartisan speakership uh, just gets ousted a yeah, week later. Yeah, I saw that there's some, a group of moderate Republicans who are calling for uh, a change to the rules. They're saying they won't even vote for a candidate unless oh, you know, the single member motion to vacate, yeah. the party agrees to get rid of get that. Rid of because it. because yeah. to your point, then you're, you're just stuck in the same position you over and over You can do it every time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, the majority is so small that you just need a few people and they have those few people that are willing to do it. Yeah, I'm not sure of what the process would look like in order to change those rules when you don't currently have a speaker. <laughs> Maybe there's some some sort of guarantee that's that's put in or even what a new threshold may be. I yeah. believe at one point um, back when McCarthy was negotiating this, it was that it was like five members and they took it down to one member to be able to uh, file that motion. So there's a lot of different ways they can do it. But I think that there is some recognition that if you don't change the rules, then you're going to be stuck in this chokehold. Republicans are going to be stuck yeah. in this chokehold forever. Yeah. Or well, at least until 2024. No, without a doubt. Yeah. And that's, and we'd have some really important things we need to pass, especially the, the Ukraine aid. Um, so it, it, it's not a great – sometimes government shuts down good, but we do actually have some important things that we need to uh, address from a, a national security standpoint. Absolutely. And then, again, to, to fund the government eventually, right? Which, eventually, to temporary, yeah. To temporary reprieve. Um, we're going to take a temporary reprieve. Uh, this is a good time to take a break. Please stick with us because coming up next, we'll talk about the record run-up in Treasury yields, check in on the latest Fed speak, and scroll through the central bank's new Instagram account. Stay tuned. Penta is the world's first comprehensive stakeholder solutions firm. We are a one-stop shop for the intelligence and strategy leaders need to assess a company's reputation and make decisions that improve their positioning. As executives in the C-suite must account for a growing set of engaged stakeholders, 
all with distinct, fast-changing demands, Penta provides real-time intelligence and strategy solutions. We work with clients solving complex global challenges across a variety of industries. Our clients span technology, financial services, energy, healthcare, and more. To learn more about how Penta can support your company, check out our website at pentagroup.co, our Twitter at pentagrp, or find us on LinkedIn at pentagroup. Welcome back to the MacroCast. We're talking about the record run-up in Treasury yields. The 10-year Treasury is now back up to 4.8% after the Friday blockbuster jobs report showing 336,000 jobs were created in September. Brendan, what what is going on? What is pushing Treasury so high? Yeah, it's just a good complete repricing in the market. So, you know, back in the in the spring, we were down around three, three and a half percent. Um, but more importantly, just in, in this week, uh, we were at, um, you know, 4.3 percent. So the the Treasury 10 year Treasury yield has gone up a, a half a percent, 50 basis points in, you know, just a, a week. Um, and it, it's very much the repricing of the um the, the strength in the, in the labor market. There are also some technical uh, reasons. Uh, Bank of Japan probably intervened and maybe sold some stuff and things like that. But uh, a lot of it is just the, the the markets repricing the Fed staying higher for longer, which ironically might keep the Fed from hiking because the market's already priced in a lot of these hikes. So, market's doing the work of the Fed. Yeah. yeah. So it, when, when you get moves this quickly – the financial system can break. So I think the Fed needs to be very, very cautious going forward here because moves this quickly. You've also had like a lot of businesses that have run for the last 20 years and only known low rates. That's what happened with the banking uh, crisis. It's just the the treasurers didn't understand what was going on and and had their books uh, mismarked. And a, a lot of you know small businesses, even larger sized business, uh, they fund themselves on the front end of the curve, you know, short uh, that that, um, that you know you, you constantly have to, to refinance it. So th- there's a big risk with moves this quick and this high uh, that that something could break. That's interesting. Do do you think that do you think that part of the the run up is due to supply issues? I know there's been a lot of discussion around you know this level of debt that the U.S. is carrying now. I think it was something like you know a, a trillion dollar issuance um, in this quarter coming up. Uh, so is is it just this issue of that there's so much more debt to buy, and that's part of what is uh, driving yields up, or is it is there something else? I mean, is there is there the Fed factor that's really the the primary? Yeah, here? so I, I definitely supply not necessarily the the, the move this week that that was much more uh, market. I mean the. Uh, economic data based uh but the the larger one you're right china's buying much less uh treasuries than they used to that, that's been happening for a couple of years now but that's a huge buyer that that's not there um and then um we we have large deficits but now so they just put out the the estimates for you know how much they're going to have to issue next year and they're going to have to issue even though we're not spending a huge much more but just because our um 
our debt costs are so much higher. We're going to have to issue basically 25% more treasuries in 2024 fiscal year than 2023, simply because it, we have to pay more interest costs. Is this is this a circular problem though? Is this becoming yeah. a vicious cycle? No, and it, we have to issue can. more debt yeah, because yeah, yeah. the debt's more expensive, which yeah. then makes the debt more expensive, expensive. Yeah. which means so you have to issue more. It <laughs> can be dangerous. Yeah. So, and also the, the, the Fed might have to rethink also their, their they've been do, doing quantitative ease, uh, quantitative tightening. So they're reducing the size of their balance sheet, which is treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. They might have to uh, rethink that and, and kind of start buying treasuries again if the, if the market keeps, uh, if rates keep jumping higher. So. You've pointed out a couple of times, Brendan, that the, I'm going to take this back to the sort of DC funding fight for a second, that the amount of money they're fighting over in terms of the overall budget is quite small. Discretionary spending is only yeah. like 25% of the total budget. Uh, there was the latest estimates uh, on the amount of uh, money that the government is spending on interest payments alone, 10% of the budget just goes to net interest payments. The estimate from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities is $663 billion for fiscal 2023. And that's about $150 billion less than we spend on national defense. Yeah. So our interest payments are starting to creep up to the size of our national defense payments, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And it, I mean, just think about it. We, a 10-year treasury used to be, you know, below 1% for, for a long time. Uh, and now it's almost 5%. So you're, you're paying like five times more interest than, than you previously did. Um, so we were lucky for a lot of that. Rates being so low allowed us to, to issue more debt and, and for the Capitol Hill to spend more than we probably should have. And then we got into the whole MMT and like, it doesn't matter. We can just keep running it. <laughs> oh, dear. I suppose it, it doesn't matter. In the short term, when when rates are really uh, low, but now you know with inflation higher, rates have to be higher, and it's just a lot more expensive to uh, to run a country. Yeah, I I recall when I was at CNBC, you know, many reports of us sort of breathlessly waiting for Treasuries to hit two percent. Yeah, right? the ten year yeah, to hit two, too. and now yeah. we're at almost five. Five, and it happened in you know a very short period of time. Yeah. So. So you're saying that the market is two things. One, the market is thinking maybe the Fed is going to sneak in at least one more rate hike before yeah. the end of the year. And at a minimum, it, it's starting to believe them that they're going to keep rates higher and there's there's no uh, cuts coming, uh, you know, in anytime soon. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like the more sort of fundamental uh, philosophical change yeah. that the markets are now sort of coming around to, right? Yeah. That the higher for longer is real and that longer may be longer than yeah. you thought. Because even the, the hawks, very much are in consensus that they just want like one more hike. It's not like people are saying like we need five or six more hikes. So the the, the battle in the Fed, I think, is over between we hold uh, but stay long or maybe we hike one more time and stay uh, stay on hold for a long time. There's there's not a, a huge demand for a lot more hikes. So I think the market is now coming to the realization that they actually mean we're going to be on hold for a while. <laughs> yeah, and and I think it's also helpful that when you look at some of the the Fed speak, not just over the past week, but more broadly, there is some debate over whether or not they should have one more hike. Mary yep. Daly saying they don't need to move um, a, a, anymore, San Francisco Fed president, while you see someone like Michelle Bowman or Loretta Mester, also yep. noted Hawk, saying, OK, maybe we need to do one more. There's disagreement necessarily, perhaps, on, yeah. on that, that finer point. 
but, but they're, they're all in, in agreement. Yeah, 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 and they're yeah. and they're all in agreement on you know we're not cutting anytime soon, right? And we we're we're in a we're in a place where uh, we need to see what else is going to happen. Yeah, and I think they they are aware they're not fools. They understand what goes on in financial markets. That the moves this quickly is not good for for anybody. So um, I think they will be cautious in terms of their. Fed speak going forward. You, you don't want to have the you know the ten year at five uh, percent on Monday, or we're going to be closed on Monday, but on uh, on Tuesday. Yeah. What what do you see as the implications then for mortgage rates and for the housing market? Because it, it does feel like the the housing market is still that one place where we're waiting for consumers to really. Uh, feel the effects yeah. of the rate hike. Campaign. So we got some commentary out of, um, I believe it was Redfin, that they're saying they're finally the the sellers can't wait out the buyers anymore. So price price cuts are happening. Um, the it's just so much more expensive to to buy a house with the the mortgage costs that you know what you could have sold your house in 2021, 22 with the, the inflation because of the pandemic, those prices aren't real anymore. You're going to have to, to, to start cutting them, um, to, to make up that whatever hundred to $500,000, uh, mortgage service cost difference, uh, that, that the, the, the borrower has to pay. So it, it is starting to normalize, but there's still a huge amount of demand. Um, the builders are still doing pretty well. Uh, we, we need more houses, you know? So you see that, Sellers are starting to reset what their expectation is of yeah. what they can yeah. get for their home. Yeah, they, they, their house has been sitting on the market long enough that they can't wait anymore. They're going to have to. They, they're cutting prices in order to to find that price that they can sell it at. And maybe if we start seeing some more dynamism within the housing market, um, that unlocks uh, unlocks uh, more more folks who can who can move exactly more folks who can, right yeah. more more folks who can take jobs in other places. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ripple effects that we could we could see from that without a doubt. What else is on your radar screen, uh, Brendan, for for the for the week coming up? Is there is there any major economic data that we should be looking for? Uh, so we get the inflation numbers uh, next week, the the producer price index, but more importantly, the consumer price index. So those are the the two big ones. We got the b- biggest one today with the jobs number, and then the the second one is the uh, CPI, which um, had the last couple of months have been encouraging. It's kind of shown signs that uh, we're going back to the, the normal levels of inflation that we experienced before the pandemic, and a lot of the supply chain disruptions are are, are over. And uh, and even more, um, so Costco, uh, you know, reported earnings, and in their commentary, they said that we, we there's no more inflation. We're seeing deflation. Um, and, and ha- have started to cut some prices on, uh, you know, goods. So that's a that's a good sign. Yeah, I wonder where we're going to see gas prices sort of fit into that. Well, because- so interesting, this week, we talk about the, the jobs data, but we've had a huge repricing in the in the oil market. Uh, uh, the EIA put out a report that the demand was much less uh, going forward than they had thought. Um, so oil prices are now, they, they dropped like 10% on the week. Um Brent crude, which is the international uh, price, it w- was at uh, $95, $96, and now we're down to $83. So, um, And also that feeds into the, the, the price of uh, gasoline. Uh, so that's been dropping fairly precipitously, but that usually works with a two-week uh, lag. So that might not show up in the Yeah, so time. we're going to – prices and gas are going to – at the, the pump are going to continue um, falling. Right, but we, it might not – 
that might not have happened quickly enough to show up. In right, the exactly. Next yeah, week's, yeah. So big, big drops are going to start. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, it won't show. Uh, no. September had started to see a little moderation, but it's not going to uh, be a huge drop. But the the August CPI saw a huge rise in gas prices. So you won't have that huge contribution, but it won't be a huge uh, drag. Right. So the baseline, the baseline will be higher. Yeah, exactly. So it hasn't yeah, yeah. gone up that much more. Yeah. Got it. Uh, well, hopefully we'll start to feel it in the wallet. <laughs> Even if we don't yeah. see, it, see it in the data, that's for sure. Um, well, certainly that's a, that's a lot to look out for, Brendan. So I don't know how much time you have, you know, at night to scroll through your Instagram feed. If you happen to have come across the latest, uh, the latest account to join the federal reserve apparently is now on Instagram and threads. So I don't, maybe that's, maybe this is a motivation for econ Twitter to finally move over to to, to, to threads in full force. Um, but, uh, I thought, I thought that was an interesting way of the fed trying to reach a new generation. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I pulled it up here. Uh, Powell gives a little <laughs> welcome to everybody. It's really, it's really fun. Hi, I'm Jay Powell. I'm the chair of the federal reserve. And I want you to know that the federal reserve is now on Instagram and threads. Yeah. I, I love the, I love the visuals here and that Powell is sort of, he does not wearing a tie yeah. when he talks <laughs> on the reel. He's kind of, his hands are loose. I, I think it's being shot inside the, uh, inside the Eccles building there. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a way to explain to, to the world what the Fed does and explain to maybe a younger audience what the Fed is all about. Um, I remember I went to a, a talk. Oh, gosh, I can't remember how many years ago it was now, but it was Alan Blinder mm-hmm. who was giving a PowerPoint presentation. And he's, he's quite cheeky. I was sort of yeah. surprised. And he had a slide in his presentation that, sh- that just showed uh, a picture of a forest. And he said, most people think the Federal Reserve is this. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. a bunch of trees. They don't understand what the Fed does. No, so. it's, I mean, of all the institutions that have, an, not just in the United States, but on, on the whole globe, central banks play an outsized role in what ends up happening to an individual's life. And it's one of the most, not just like misunderstood, but, you know, people just don't even know it exists and, and what it does. So it's great that they're, they're reaching out and hopefully more people can pay attention. Yeah. Kudos to the Fed for their uh, entree into Instagram. Nice reel, Jay Powell. And we're excited to see what else, what, what other videos they start posting on there. Yeah. That does it for us today. I'm Elon Moy with Penta. My co-host is Brendan from Markets Policy Partners. We hope that you enjoyed our show. And remember that you can always listen, like, and subscribe to the Macrocast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.